0: Now this evening I want to speak uh, to, I want us to answer this question rather. How did Jesus live as a child? Uh, That's a question we are beginning to answer really as we go through this section. How did Jesus live as a child and what difference should it make for how we live for him? Regardless of our age, right? Now we are looking at this question because we have come to Luke chapter 2 verse 39 to verse 40. Just before these verses, Luke describes how Jesus was born. We've seen that. And his first visit to the temple with his parents when he was just a month and a half old, really, 40 days. 40 days old, he goes to the temple for his first visit to church, we might say, uh, at 40 days old. Now, as we come to these verses, Luke 3, Luke 2, verse 39 to 40. Luke is giving us a summary of how Jesus lived as a baby until he was 12 years old. He compresses, if you like, the 12 years of the life of Jesus. Just in these two verses, we might say. Particularly verse 14. Let's read. and says, And when they had deformed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And here's a summary and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. What verse 39 to verse 40 is teaching us is that though Jesus is 100% God, he was born and grew up as a full human child to save us from our sins. So Jesus is 100% God. He was born and grew up as a full human child to save us from our sins. I want us to explore this truth to learn what it means for how we live for Jesus. Right? Now, if you've been following the news, you know that this year we are going to have a general election, right? I'm sure you picked that up. We have to have it by January, right? It will dominate all the news in 2024. Just wait. You're about to get tired of it. Every time you flick on it, it will be there, right? And one of the most popular questions, I'm sure we'll get it this year, one of the most popular questions the media likes to ask politicians is this, how much is a pint of milk? (laughs) they always ask that every year. (laughs) How much is a pint of milk? There'll be a politician who will be asked this question. Uh, And you'd think they'll be ready, right? (laughs) Now, of course, it seems like, what's up with the question? It's such a simple question that all of us should be able to answer that question, right? After all, all of us, we use milk, we drink it all the time. But the truth of the matter is, even as I've asked it, what's your answer? You're probably thinking, I don't know the the price of milk, why would I care, right? So a few of us actually, very few of us actually know the price of a pint of milk, which is buy and drink it, right? And sadly for a politician, not to know the price of milk actually means that they're out of touch. They don't know how the ordinary person lives. That's why they don't know the price of milk. I think it's a bit tough on them, to be honest. But that's the whole point, that they don't even buy their own milk. Somebody does it for them. As always, the simplest questions are often the hardest to answer. In fact, the simplest questions are often the hardest to appreciate. We need to keep that in mind as we're going through Luke. I'm I'm so conscious you know Luke. You've read it many times. Just like this morning, you understood that you've read the story of Anna. You've read the story of, the, of all the people that are visitors. I'm, I'm very conscious of that. And as we come to this verse, particularly uh, Luke 2, verse 39 to 40, you know this verse. You've read it, a lot of us have read it many times. But keep in mind that principle that the simplest questions are often the hardest to answer. How did Jesus live as a child? And what does it mean for how we live today? It has huge implications for how we live today. Well, there are three important answers that Dr. Luke wants us to remember. And I I just want to summarize them for you. They are just these. First of all, the child Jesus grew naturally. Secondly, the the child Jesus grew spiritually. And thirdly, the child Jesus grew graciously. Naturally. Spiritually. Graciously. That's how the child Jesus grew, right? First, the child Jesus grew naturally. The Lord Jesus grew up as a normal child, a normal human child within a normal Jewish family. And Dr. Luke reveals this mind-boggling truth by telling us two important things. First, as soon as the Christmas family finished all their business in the temple, they returned to Nazareth. Verse 39, and when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. Now, if you are here at the Nativity, you you may be wondering at this point now as you read that verse, you should pause and reflect. Don't just read through this stuff very quickly. You should pause and think. And I think one of the questions immediately that pops in your mind, uh, if you know your Bible very well, is that, okay, okay. He's at the temple. And then he goes to where? Egypt? No, Luke says he's going to Nazareth. You may be thinking to yourself, look, you've forgotten that after visiting the temple, they went back to Bethlehem. As no one told you about evil Herod. And the flight to Egypt. This is a 12-year span after all you're describing. Well, I'm sure Luke knows all about those events. right? Luke what we need to keep in mind as we go through Luke is that there's a reason why we got these four accounts of the life of Jesus. Luke is not writing a blow by blow account of everything that took place in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. No. Luke is writing, as he's told us from verse 1 of chapter 1, uh, this is the first four verses of chapter 1, is writing an orderly account or a focused account of the record of Jesus to grow our trust in Jesus. His goal in chapter 1 and chapter 2 is to show particularly that God is now here among us. His main point, as he describes his summary, is is to show us that though baby Jesus is God, is not growing up as God. That is Luke's focus. He is growing up as a human child, living in a human family and in a human town. That's why we have this shift from Jerusalem back into Nazareth. Look, Egypt is interesting, but that's not the central focus of Luke here. Luke wants us to know that the child Jesus is not growing up as a super, superman, you know, as, a, as a super baby, you might say. He's growing up naturally as a normal boy in a human family. So the family has finished everything. The focus is on the family. And the focus is that they go back to normal life. That's his point. He will now be living under the care of his own parents. This focus in Luke is important because Luke wants us to understand that Jesus grew normally or naturally. And Luke underlines this point when we get to verse 40. And the child grew and became strong. The original word for grew there means to increase or to spread out. The phrase became strong in the original means it became strong or healthy, right? He has become strong or healthy, right? Luke is saying from the moment of his birth, Jesus began to grow physically strong, right? His bones were becoming strong and he was developing muscle. (laughs) Baby Jesus. Baby Jesus went through a normal development of a baby. And he grew into a child. (laughs) Uh, Like you and I, he learned how to sit. He learned how to crawl before he could walk. Like you, he learned how to stand up and move his feet as a baby. Can you imagine that? At some point, God, the son Jesus, took his first step and tumbled face flat. Lord in the flesh. Such condescension the Lord took by becoming a man. Can you imagine that the one who holds all things together one day lost his baby teeth? Can you imagine that? Beloved, we need to spend time to ponder just the depth to which Jesus plunged to save us from sin. Our Lord Jesus was once a toddler who buzzed around the house. Amazing. Amazing. And as Jesus was growing physically, his brain was also developing. His body, mind, and emotions were all growing in a natural way as any human being. This also means that as a child, in his human nature, Jesus only knew the world around him as you would expect a child of his age to know at that time. In his human nature, we should not somehow think that the five year old Jesus had a brain box of a 50 year old. <laughs> or oh, he knew in his human nature at five what an 80 year old person knows. In his human nature, the boy Jesus at five would have been very similar to every other five year old. And he was certainly different from a boy at 12. At the same time, we need to remember an important truth. We need to remember that the physical health of Jesus was miles ahead of all other human beings in history apart from Adam. Why do I say that? Because Jesus did not have the effects of sin on his body. Though he was born as one of us, the Holy Spirit created, did a second genesis in the womb of Mary. He created the body of Jesus, a body just made for him as our second Adam in Mary's womb, without any sin. Jesus, of course, had the normal human weakness that Adam had before humanity fell into sin. If you want to understand how Adam used to live like before sin entered the world, you only need to look at Jesus. And so we can be confident Adam used to get hungry before the fall. Because Jesus got hungry and needed to rest. There's nothing sinful about that. Jesus got tired and needed to sleep. The body he, the Holy Spirit created for him in the Mary's womb was, a, was like Adam's body. And he got tired and needed to sleep. But apart from that, he had no deformities in his DNA. He didn't even have any imperfections that sin as caused to the bodies of the human race. Other imperfections. The humanity of Jesus was without sin. So Jesus did not inherit any mental, physical, genetic, chemical, or biological infirmities from Mary. That was the whole point of the Holy Spirit, creating a body for Christ. To put it simply and clearly, I believe our second Adam, Jesus, was never infected with James. Viruses, disease, and he certainly did not transmit them to anyone. A body made for him. It should not surprise us as we think about that. We should not be surprised that the body of Jesus, though fully human like us, was perfectly so. Like Adam's. Before the fall. You see, if Jesus had any deformity in his physical nature, he could not be our savior. Why? Because Leviticus tells us that. Christ had to be physically perfect to meet the requirements of a perfect sacrifice as laid out in the Old Testament. Leviticus 22 verse 21 to 22 describes a sacrifice acceptable to God. And when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord to fulfill a vow or a free will offering from the herd or from the flock, to be accepted it must be perfect. There shall be no blemish in it. Animals blind or disabled, or mutilated, or have a discharge, or an itch, or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord, and give them to the Lord as a food offering on the altar. And as I was teaching the ladies on Saturday, uh, what these pictures that we see in Christ, in the Old Testament, they are of course pointing us to the real thing, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Christ had a perfect physical body. Christ, our peace offering in the New Testament, could not have been lame or indeed sick with any disease. Jesus had to be perfectly, perfect physically to be a sacrifice for sinners. This also means that Jesus had a perfect mental health. Like Adam before, the fall, Jesus could think clearly as a human at each stage of his life. You know, there have been errors in the church, especially within the Anglican. It's a, couple, a decade ago or so, which was suggesting Jesus may have had some sort of mental health problem. <laughs> right? No, well, Jesus had the perfect mental health as our perfect Adam. When Luke says in verse 40, And the child grew and became strong. We should understand that to mean that baby Jesus grew up normally in his mental faculties, we might say. His brain development was perfect. His physical body was perfect. His emotional development was perfect. Fully human, but very much like the first Adam before the fall. In fact, you know, what? a good case can be made that apart from Adam before the fall, no other human being could match the mental and intellectual capacity of Jesus. His human body, including his brain and his mind, were all perfect. So when we say that Jesus grew naturally, as Luke is teaching us here, it means he grew as a perfect boy. So that's the first thing we learn here. The child Jesus grew naturally. The second thing we learn here, uh, the second answer about Jesus grew, is that the child Jesus grew spiritually, spiritually. So naturally, then secondly, we see here the child Jesus grew spiritually. The word spiritual, of course, might surprise you here, as you hear me say that, because it's not mentioned in these verses, right? It's not there in verse 40 in particular. But I would argue that it is implied in verse 40 with the use of the word wisdom, and the child Jesus grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. What does Dr. Luke mean, that Christ grew in wisdom? Well, the, fact that the, the, the principle we use in reading the Bible is that we must always let Scripture interpret Scripture. The question is not what I think wisdom is, right? <laughs> right? Or what some academic thinks wisdom is. The question is, what does the Bible think wisdom is? Well, the answer is in Job 28, verse 28, isn't it? Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. Right? And to turn away from evil is understanding. Proverbs 1, verse 8, King Solomon says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. We see later, Jesus, of course, had deep spiritual knowledge. But fundamentally, The Bible teaches us wisdom is really spiritual, isn't it? It's about having a true and holy relationship with God that results in thinking God's thoughts after him. Do you want your child to be wise? They need to have a relationship with the Lord. That's true wisdom. Otherwise, they are are foolish. Because as they have a relationship with the Lord, they'll be thinking God's thoughts after him. True wisdom comes from God the Holy Spirit. It is a grace or fruit that is produced by God inside every person in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. And that's why, beloved, our teaching for all the emphasis on worldly education and other things, our teaching of our children should focus fundamentally what should take up more time for them is imparting the spiritual wisdom of God. And that because you teach them through the scriptures. They are learning to develop a relationship with the Lord as the Lord works through them through the Holy Spirit. True wisdom comes from God, the Holy Spirit. So when Luke says that Jesus was filled with wisdom, he's fundamentally saying that Jesus the man grew in his spiritual relationship with God. Right? This growth in his spiritual relationship with God occurred in his human nature. Okay? Right? You following me there? Right? In his divine nature, Jesus didn't need to grow to know God, because Jesus is God. But Jesus is two natures in one, the human nature and the divine nature. In his human nature, he grew in his trust and love of God. This does not mean that there was ever a time Jesus didn't trust or love God, right? Even as they, in his human nature. No. Jesus always loved and trusted God. The point is that the various experiences of his life, they they offer Jesus opportunities, you see, to demonstrate his trust, his love, his fear of God appropriate for each occasion and challenge that he faced. Think of Jesus, beloved. Think of our Savior. What a mind-boggling spiritual development. He was the only sinless child who has ever been born. And he kept growing in his sinlessness before God. Amazing. Mind-boggling. And this perfect spiritual growth of the child Jesus means that the child Jesus grew in living wisely with his parents and living wisely with others. That's another definition of wisdom, isn't it? Wisdom is living wisely before God and others. Paul reminds the church at Colossus, isn't it? Walk wisely before outsiders. What does it mean? It means let your spiritual life with God be reflected in how you interact with the world. And that was true of Jesus, isn't it? Jesus lived wisely with his parents and all his childhood friends in Nazareth. His relationship with God permeated all other relationships. You know, for example, the child Jesus was able to forgive quicker than children forgive. Our children are very good at forgiving. But the child Jesus just did it quicker. Because you see, he had that relationship with God. And as we think of our children, we need to pray that they have that relationship with God. And you know, because of his vibrant and perfect spiritual life with God, Jesus coped with all the precious of life at each stage of his life in a way that honored God. You know, we can truly say Jesus was the happiest child and the most contented child the world has ever known or will know. He was a joy to his mom and dad. Children, you want to be a joy to your mom and dad? Do you want to be a joy to your parents? Desire to grow to be like Christ. As long as you are not a born-again believer, as long as you are not trusting Jesus to yourself, you are not a joy to your parents as you can be. I'm not saying you don't bring joy to them, but you can do so much more. Because the more you become more like Christ, the more your life will be fulfilling towards them. Whether they are believers or not is beside the point. Become Christ-like and you'll be a blessing to them. Jesus was a joy to his because, first of all, the child Jesus grew naturally, and secondly, the child Jesus grew spiritually. Third, moving on, the child Jesus grew graciously. He grew graciously. All of these things were a result of the grace of God on the human Christ. The original word for, for favor in verse 44, in verse 40 there, is charis. When we read and it says, and the favor of God was upon him. Favor there is charis. The same word we use for grace. The ESV has chosen to translate this as favor. Some versions say grace, but he's chosen to translate favor for obvious reasons. He wants to avoid confusion. <laughs> Most of the time, when we think of grace, we think of serving grace. There are two grace you might think of. Serving grace, the grace that God shows to sinners to serve them. Jesus didn't have that because Jesus was not sinner. Jesus is the God-man is without sin even as a child. The grace or the favor here is what we call enabling grace or the goodness of God. When Luke says... And the favor of God was upon him. Look, he's saying the goodness of God, the enabling grace of God, the goodness of God enabled Jesus to grow physically and spiritually before God. To, 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 to flourish like a plant before the Lord as Isaiah 53 uh, talks about Jesus growing through that as a plant in dry ground. Jesus, you see, knew the care and goodness of God. He grew up in this world, shepherded by his loving Heavenly Father. Jesus, of course, needed the grace of God because even though Jesus is fully God, and, and is fully God, is living his life as a child, not, not drawing on his divine, divine privileges. This is Philippians 2 if you've been to Bible study, right? Q, you know, it's happening on Wednesday, right? So if you've studied Philippians 2 like we did in Bible study, then you know already That Jesus emptied himself. Not because he lost his divinity. No, he emptied by adding. And he lived depending not on his divine privileges, but living as a man. How then was he supplied? Well, the answer is, and the favor of God was upon him. God lavished his grace, his enabling grace, his favor on Jesus. As I said, though Jesus was perfect as a human being, he the goodness and care of God, you know, to build him up physically, mentally, spiritually, intellectually. I just want to say to parents here, that's what your children need. What is the greatest need of your child? I think that's the answer. And the favor of God was upon him. You may have a brilliant child. His greatest need is not the world. His greatest need is to have the favor of God upon them. And as children, as you listen to me just now, encourage your parents to point you to the favor of God. Because it's the greatest asset you can have in this world. And you know, God is full of grace, isn't it? He willingly provided his grace to Jesus. He was concerned to watch over his son, to lavish his grace and pour grace on his precious son. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how God's grace grew Jesus physically and spiritually, but we know from Luke chapter 1, verse 35, that Jesus was indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We've already said that. The prophecy of Isaiah also teaches us that the Holy Spirit rested on Jesus to fill him with wisdom and knowledge for his work as the Messiah. Just stand briefly with me to Isaiah 11 there, uh, just briefly. Isaiah 11, verse 1 to 3, it's a very important uh, just briefly and keep your finger there on Luke chapter 2, verse 39 to 40. I'll just read this for us. This is a prophecy we are familiar with from, from at Christmas time, isn't it? There shall come forth a shoot from the stamp of Jesse, and the branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And listen to this. And the spirit of the Lord of Yahweh shall rest upon him, that is Jesus. The spirit of wisdom, this is the sevenfold spirit, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. You can go back to Luke chapter 2, verse 39 to 40. The point there we're learning from that prophecy of Jesus, that direct prophecy concerning Christ, is that Jesus lived spiritually wise before God, not out of his own resources or drawing on his divine nature, but by the Spirit of God resting upon him. I just want to keep emphasizing that. The Holy Spirit is key here to the spiritual life of Jesus. And to his spiritual knowledge and development. God the Holy Spirit provided for Jesus all that he needed to grow and develop in fulfilling the calling that God the Father had given his eternal son, Jesus. The spiritual knowledge that Jesus possessed as as a man was directly and indirectly as a result of the grace of the Holy Spirit working on his life. God, the Holy Spirit, of course, directly imparted the uh, the spiritual knowledge, right? Directly imparted that to the human nature of Jesus. All the insights, all the knowledge that God wanted the man Jesus to know. Not everything, but what God saw fit for the fulfillment of his work as the Messiah, So there was a direct impartation from the Holy Spirit. But also there was indirect impartation, we might call it. Right? In the sense that the Holy Spirit enabled Jesus to understand the scriptures that he read. Christ grew in his knowledge through reading the Bible. (laughs) As a man, his understanding of the scriptures grew him spiritually. That's the indirect work of the Holy Spirit. And as we read on in Luke, we we'll see that from a young age Jesus knew the Old Testament scriptures. In fact, as a young boy, Jesus would have memorized all of the Torah, and he was able to do that not only to memorize it but to understand it because the Holy Spirit enabled him to understand it. The Holy Spirit—the point I'm making—is that provided for Jesus, and the Holy Spirit did something else for Jesus. The Holy Spirit acted as the mediator within. Jesus himself, in the sense that the Holy Spirit provided, was the immediate rather operator of all the divine acts that the Lord Jesus did as he acted on his human nature. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that whatever God the Son did in relation to his human nature, he did it through the Holy Spirit. Jesus depended entirely upon the Holy Spirit in his life. It is the Holy Spirit who ensured that the divine and the human nature of Jesus related to each other properly. That Jesus could remain fully God whilst living fully man. So, to summarize, and you'll be glad that I'm summarizing now. To summarize, while Luke is teaching us here, the original question we're asking is what? How did Jesus grow up as a child? Well, Luke is teaching us that though Jesus is 100% God, he is also 100% man. And he lived and grew up as a human child whilst remaining God. And we've just looked at three ways in which the child Jesus grew in his humanity. He grew up naturally. He grew up spiritually. And he grew up graciously. And we have said the gracious growing of Jesus, that gracious work, was the work of the Spirit. The grace of the Holy Spirit was upon him. So, so what? You might ask. What difference does that make? I mean, how does this help me on a Monday? Right? Good question. You always ask that. How does this help me as a man? Right? How does this help me with all the challenges that I'm facing as a husband? Well, how should we respond? Well, three important responses. Right? And then I'll end here. First, we must live and serve with gratitude and adoration to our triune God for the perfect and precious gift of the Lord Jesus, our child-growing Messiah. The first response to what we've been learning uh, is, is, is adoration. Oh, friends, I hope as you are thinking of Jesus, your heart is growing warm as you ponder to the wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, friends, give God the Father your thanks for his faithfulness to us. You know, God the Father promised to send, and as we read in Isaiah 11, to equip his Messiah. Oh, and the Father delivers, because his word never fails. When we think about how Jesus grew, the wonder of Jesus, when we look at verse 40, it should fill us with gratitude and thanks to the Father. We enabled that to happen. Give God the Son, of course, our Lord Jesus, your thanks for willingly choosing to grow up naturally and spiritually as a child and depending on the Holy Spirit to enable him to do that. You know, as God the Son, Jesus had all the power to do anything, and yet he chose to humbly and willingly depend on the Holy Spirit so that why? So that he can live as a man, why? So that he can serve us. Because it's not just the death of Jesus that saves us. His righteousness is imputed to us by Jesus living as a man. Thank Jesus for that, beloved. Adore the Son, beloved, because His natural and spiritual perfect life enabled by the Holy Spirit saves us. As I said, His life is now reckoned to us. Oh, friend, if you trust in Jesus, you can say this evening, Jesus is my man. This morning we have been reminded, isn't it, that if you are trusting in Jesus, God looks upon you and says, well, I hope he does anyway. He says, that's my woman. That's my man at Bexley. That's my woman at the place of work where you work. Oh, what a wonderful thing. that! Because Christ has come and put on our human flesh, lived as a child. We can say, he's our man. He's our man. He lived for us. Give God the Holy Spirit your thanks as well, beloved. Oh, we are so prone to forget the third member of the Trinity. But as we lead, if we take anything away from the first two chapters of Luke, he said it's about him. It's about the Holy Spirit, beloved. Give him your thanks as you reflect on this wonder of Jesus living as a child for the gracious power which rested on the child Jesus during his childhood. You know, I've been thinking about the many temptations Christ would have faced. As a child, children face so many temptations. The emotions are all over the place. Who enabled Christ to keep all of that and live a sinless life as a runaway toddler, we might say, you know, uh, energy-filled toddler? Who did that? The Holy Spirit. He gave himself willingly to keep Jesus, to strengthen him, to comfort him. Adore the Holy Spirit, beloved, for his self-giving nature. For his quiet and selfless service in the spiritual development of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's behind the work sins. Oh, what humility. I hope you are adoring the Holy Spirit for the way he's keeping you right now. You know, the Holy Spirit is always in the background in the life of a believer as he was in the life of Jesus. People see what we do. They don't see the Holy Spirit who moves in us to do it. Adore him. Adore him, I would say, for his commitment to you as a sinner. Jesus, You can understand why the Holy Spirit enjoyed being with Jesus. But I don't understand why He enjoys to live in me. Why He still lives in me. With all my imperfections and sin. So we see in Jesus, in the life of Jesus as a child, how the Holy Spirit worked. What humility the Holy Spirit has, isn't it? He never drew attention to Himself. We think of the miracles, we think of Jesus. We don't think of the Holy Spirit. But we come to Acts 10 and we see that Jesus, how did Jesus do the miracles? By the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the work of the Holy Spirit always was to lovingly support God the Son, our Lord Jesus, in his office as our Messiah. So the first response is gratitude. Thank God the Father. Thank the Son. And thank God the Holy Spirit. Secondly, this truth we've learned. That Jesus grew spiritually and physically and graciously as a child, uh, should encourage us to live and save Christ with encouragement. I know I've just used double words there. But what I mean is that we must live and save Christ with encouragement because the same Holy Spirit who provided enabling grace to the child Jesus lives in us. I'm just emphasizing the point I made. Oh, friends, living for Christ is humbling. He humbles us. Oh, friend, saving Christ, saving God's people humbles all of us. Being a mom and living faithfully. Being a husband at home, living faithfully for Christ. He is humbling, isn't it? Oh, friends, I hope you know what I'm talking about. We sense our frailty, our weaknesses on display. As we seek to live for Jesus, wherever God has placed us. We feel our weakness in face of temptation and suffering. We feel our weakness as we try and share the gospel to people in our lives who constantly oppose the truth and the grace of God. We feel weak, don't we, beloved? We feel weak in the church as we seek to support each other in those moments of pain and loss. We speak to a saint and their suffering, we just feel weak. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. We feel weak when we try and get alongside believers in our lives who are backslidden. We are trying like, oh, look to Jesus. And it's not working. It's not working. We feel weak. We wish we can speak Jesus into them. He just leaves us feeling weak, weak, weak. We feel weakness as a local church, don't we? When we look around us and we see the world around us. He's so rebellious. He doesn't want to hear But even in the life of this church, we look around us, we see so many needs in this church. And yet so few workers for the gospel. We feel weak. And you know, as I've thought about this, our constant helplessness impacts on our physical and mental health. It does. It does. And it can leave us doubting whether God is at work in our lives. Are you feeling like that right now? Oh, friend, take a look again at Luke chapter 2, verse 40. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. And the favor of God was upon him. You know, Luke is saying, God is not calling you, friend, to rely on yourself, He has given us enabling grace. By his Holy Spirit. So dearly beloved. Do not despair. Be comforted. Whatever situation you find yourself this evening. God has not called us to live for him. By relying on our own strength. He has given us his Holy Spirit. You know as I said. I'm so comforted that Jesus. Perfect as he is. Needed the enabling. Work of the Spirit in his life. And I'm like praise the Lord. There's nothing really wrong with me. (laughs) that I need him. It's exactly what I need. I need his help. You need his help. Especially for parenting. You need God's help as your parent, isn't it? So, finally. So what have I said? First, gratitude, right? Second, be encouraged. That's the way I should put it. Be encouraged. That's straightforward. Third, live and serve God by following the example. Of Jesus, okay? Gratitude, encouragement, example. Follow the example of Jesus. Who willingly grew naturally, spiritually, and graciously by the Holy Spirit. Let us follow the example of Jesus in two areas. Let me, and I'll end. First, let us learn from Jesus to humble ourselves in loving service to God. If we take away anything from these verses, is that our Lord Jesus humbled himself. Jesus willingly submitted to the plan of God for him to come and be a baby and to grow up naturally. Our Lord humbled himself. It's a humility of Jesus that should shock us. And this this humility of Jesus really is part of his humiliation, isn't it? It's part of his humiliation. God the creator became a child who grew up naturally like us. We serve a humble God. Jesus, living as a child, doesn't just shout out, though, his humility. He shouts out his love. He did all of this for our benefit, for you, friends. And as I said already, you should worship him for this. Jesus loved you enough to plunge that infinite distance, being born as a baby, growing up naturally as one of us. The creator did this for you. And of course we see this humility of Jesus continued all the way to the cross, don't we? Where Jesus willingly laid down his life for us. For us who are prideful. The Lord Jesus Christ allowed himself to be betrayed, arrested, judged, condemned, mocked, on, brutally killed for sinners. He who created the whole universe and sustains it by his power. The one who was worshipped by angels. The one who was all things together humbled himself on the cross for your sin. Christ is the humility of God embodied in human nature. That's the point. He is God dressed in the garments of our humility, of his humility. And he's done that to win and serve us. So let's follow his example. And the example I think here fundamentally is to follow him in humility, isn't it? If we are truly children of God, if we can can say Jesus is my brother, if we are spiritual brothers of Jesus, we must be humble as he is. Nothing should be beneath us for the sake of Jesus. Nothing should be beneath you in the home to serve for the sake of Jesus. Nothing should be beneath you to serve at your place of work for the sake of Jesus. Nothing should be beneath you to serve in the church for the sake of Jesus. That is what God is calling us to do. Yes, it's painful. Yes, we are plunging very low. But beloved, you are not plunging an infinite distance like Jesus did. And remember, he is enabling grace. The grace of the Spirit is available. So humility is what we learn. Second second example and I'll end here is that we learn from Jesus to continue depending on the Holy Spirit. In whatever we're doing, as I keep saying, and I've said it so many times, I'm sure you're tired of hearing it, just keep remembering as you read that verse and the favor of God was upon him that the hymn is perfect. (laughs) That's my point. Just keep remembering that's a perfect person. Now I've already said for parents, your child needs the favor of God. Why? Because the perfect child, Jesus, needed the favor of God. Now I'm saying to you, you need the favor of God. You need to continue depending on the Holy Spirit. Jesus grew physically and spiritually by the Spirit. And he desires that you grow in dependence by the Spirit. How do we do it? We know how to do it. What do you mean, how do we do it? We know how to do it. Of course we do. If I go around here, I'm sure you give me the right answer. How do we grow in depending on the Holy Spirit? Well, we must simply practice what we hear every Lord's day. That's the answer. And what you read in your Bible every day. We must seek the Lord wholeheartedly in prayer. Uh, Learn from Anna. That's how we do it. right? <laughs> seek God wholeheartedly among his people. Anna showed us that. Seek God wholeheartedly in prayer and fasting we'll be saying this year. It's important. Secondly, we must give ourselves thirdly as you said, we must give ourselves our wholly to the word of God. We must allow the word of Christ to dwell richly in us. That's the answer Paul would remind us, isn't it? We must allow the truth and message of Christ to fill every part of our life and service and continually submit to its power and strength. The Holy Spirit can operate without the word of God, but the norm is that he operates through the Word. And so you must be a creature of the Word. In short, what I'm really saying is that we need to grow in our intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus. We need to grow on feasting on the gospel publicly and privately. Now, I just want to say, I was talking about the public thing this morning. I want to say some of us here are good with the public thing. Many of us are good with our public relationship with Christ. Our real issue is private. We are too busy to pray. We are too busy to read our Bibles. We are too busy to fast. If you are too busy to do those two things you are, those three things. You are too busy. You're too busy. You're shooting yourself in the foot. And as a result, you won't grow in living and serving. You need to have downsides how you live your life. Change your job. There's a cost of living because, yes, I know that, but... Focus on what lasts, okay? And let us repent and seek God to help us, uh, to help us depend. Uh, let, us seek and, let us repent and seek God to help us depend on him. And as we've seen, God will help us, isn't it? Because this passage has taught us that Jesus grew naturally. He grew spiritually. And he grew graciously. And he did all of that for us. And he did it to set as a template for us. Remember, we are not alone. His Holy Spirit is available to help us. Jesus is our God, and especially, he is our man. There's a man in heaven for us, the Lord Jesus Christ, our mediator. He is your Christ. Amen.